Well, if you did not know, this is graduation Sunday. This is the Sunday that we are recognizing our graduates. And I have asked a wonderful Christian student, senior student, uh, Emma Geiger, to give the sermon. So let's, uh, let's pray for Emma and then hear what she has to say. Father in heaven, we thank you for Emma, for her faith, uh, for all that you have done in her life and all that you will do. We pray now that you would speak through her. Bless her, Lord. And speak to us through your chosen servant. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. My name is Emma Geiger, and I'm glad to be here with you this morning. When I initially received the readings for today and really started praying on the message I wanted to convey, the first thing I wanted to do was make a beeline for the internet. Like any Gen Z teenager that grew up in our increasingly electronic world, the internet seemed like the perfect solution. But then I figured Googling sermons for dummies was not what God wanted me to be doing. So I took another look at the Revelation reading. The Alpha and the Omega. It's a very well-known Bible description. The first and the last. The beginning and the end. God has made us and will be there for us at the end of our time. Now, this is a sort of comfort to us, that God will be with us at the end of our days. But in my curiosity, I read a little bit further in Revelation. The immediate following verses, 7 and 8, paint a much harsher alternative to today's hopeful reading. So let me read it for you. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This description is the complete opposite of what we were just told in the reading today. Instead of being given the hope of coming home to our Father, we are now struck with the fear. For some, this may not happen. I find myself conflicted with the words. God is put forth over and over again throughout scripture as our merciful father, our forgiving creator, and our loving comforter. And I just don't see that in these two verses following our reading today. Here, the sinful seem condemned without reprieve. And that's worrying for us to think about as human beings, flawed as we are and prone to mistakes. But that's where Jesus comes in. Jesus came down for us endured life on earth, and died for us on the cross. His death paid for those sins that would have sent us to that second death. In his death, he made us new, so that when we eventually come to realize the error of our ways, our repentance has the weight of Jesus' sacrifice behind it, and we can move forward with a clean slate, a new person. So just as Revelation tells us of the two paths after life on earth, one hopeful and one condemning, it also tells us the good news of Christ if you know how to listen. And that is that yes, the second death is a scary thing, but it has been overcome by Jesus' sacrifice, and you can now look forward to dwelling forever with the Lord. However, with this knowledge, there may also appear to be a disconnect. We have already been promised forgiveness for all of our sins, and yet God still allows us to rebel and turn away from him at times. This leads me to a question. Why does God not reach down 
and mold us into beings without flaw or sin? Why let us make mistakes that need such immense forgiving as to only be paid for by Jesus' death? To me, it seems like if he had kept us from sin, there would not have been a need for his son to die on the cross. There wouldn't be the violence and the prejudice and the fear that plagues much of the world today. We would be perfectly complacent to obediently serve God in our lives. On account of these questions, I have come to three conclusions. To tell you of them, I'll tell you a story. I have a friend whom I've known for years. She's terribly smart, fierce as a bear, and seems to try and fight the world any chance she gets. She'll be attending a top-tier university for an eighth of the advertised price and has received more scholarships than I can count. But she is also very against obtaining a faith of any kind. Every now and again, I'll test the waters to see if she'll warm to the idea of attending a church service with me or discussing a Bible passage. But so far, she's remained firmly against any faith. I had always thought that the fact that she turned her back on religion and yet was still so successful was a bit unfair. In my humanness, I defaulted to jealousy. Why should my unbelieving friend obtain so much privilege and worldly success while I felt lost? Why should someone who doesn't worship Jesus retain the same benefits as if they were a firm believer? In my head, God should be rewarding people who are faithful with earthly blessings, but that didn't seem to be the case with my friend and I. It took me a while to realize that it's not part of being a human to have our lives made for us. If God came down to dole out earthly punishments and privileges based on the whims of what we human beings, flawed as we are, perceive to be rights and wrongs, the world would be chaos. The difference between my friend's current success and my self-inflicted doubt about my own life wasn't the result of God reaching down and saying, you deserve this and you deserve that. Things happened the way they did to serve a bigger purpose, but I'll touch on that a bit more later. And this leads me to my first conclusion, that any of the obstacles in our lives are meant to have us choose, intentionally or not, between two types of paths, a path that walks besides Jesus, and a path that leads us a bit further away from him. Part of the bigger purpose for what I perceived to be an unfair situation was made a bit clearer after reading the Revelation passage. The Alpha and the Omega, we all come into the world the same way and leave it alike. The life in between the two is what can lead to to such vastly different results after an earthly death, eternal life with Jesus, or a second death. We are born, both physically and spiritually, made new in both senses. For those who do not come to know Jesus in their time on earth, their physical death is synonymous with their spiritual one. The first death, the physical, and the final death, the spiritual, become one. What could have been the beginning of eternal life is now the death of the spirit. In the case of my highly achieving yet unbelieving friend, The path she walks now may appear to us to be leading her further from Jesus, which may be the case, but there will be other obstacles and other curveballs that will force her to choose again and again if she would like to walk beside the Lord, just as we too are constantly given that choice. And I pray that one day she does make that choice. 
But this leads me to my second conclusion. Since all the obstacles in our lives lead to a choice of whether to walk with the Lord or not, then we are constantly being offered grace and forgiveness. We do not always choose the path that walks beside him, but that's the beauty of God. He is there every time you decide to return to him. He offers grace and compassion and eternal life for every step you decide to take in his direction. That's what's being described in Revelation today, the triumph of Jesus, the gift he has given us, and we need only follow him. The obvious divide between the reading we heard today and its following verses 7 and 8 is intentional. It shows the two directions we can take and connects them by telling us God is here for you whenever you choose to come to him. Your time on earth is your chance to trip up, to make mistakes, to come to find Jesus, and to know him. So do not fear. He is with you as you go on this journey. So back to my original inquiry. Why does God not reach down and mold us into beings without flaw or sin? If God is the beginning and the end, why does he not help us to be better in the life in between? A simple answer is that he often helps by not helping. It is a much more effective teaching method to be made to figure something out rather than just be told the answer. So by letting us make mistakes and return to Jesus on our own, trusting his forgiveness, he is growing our faith stronger and stronger. And this is my third conclusion, that since we are constantly being offered grace and forgiveness, our faith is constantly growing. Faith is the power of believing without seeing. It is having confidence in the Lord without a doubt, even in times that seem dark. To grow into an intimate and personal relationship with Christ, you must come to know him in your own way. Your crossroads and decision points will look very different than those of the people beside you. And there will be times that, that your life may seem unbalanced or unfair. But it is all for that bigger purpose I mentioned earlier, to grow your faith. Your obstacles are for you, and it is just as much for letting you know Jesus as it is for him to know you. That's why we call it a relationship. And an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus is the goal of Christian faith. The Revelation reading is beautiful in this way. It proclaims the good news that Jesus has died for our sins and we have this wonderful homecoming to look forward to, a gift. But to come to this home, we must come to know Jesus in our time on earth. My three conclusions summarize how we can come to know God. First, by being presented with the opportunities to choose to walk with Jesus. Second, by being constantly offered forgiveness when we do choose him. And finally, by extension, helping us to grow our faith. And to do that, you must be the one to choose the path of Christ over and over again. He will always be waiting for you at the end. Amen. Amen.